Please go ahead and have a, have a seat. Um, we're in the middle of our series, uh, The Soulful Songs of Summer, where we're, we're looking at uh, some music, at some songs that, that speak to our, our hearts, uh, that, that reach to us in a way that nothing ha- else can, because music has that power to touch us, to reach to us, to, to speak to us. And combined with the Word of God, it is a powerful condom- con- combination, there we go, combination to uh, speak to us and communicate uh, who our God is and what He does and, and the power of Him working in our hearts and our lives. Uh, the song that, that we're focusing on for this week is that song that, that we just sung, uh, God of this City. Uh, God of the City, and, and the power of that song is amazing. But as I thought about that song and thought about the power of that song, I started thinking about, like, how can, can we claim that for Orange? For, for the place where, where most of us live. Because Orange is a wonderful place to live. Anybody here else like loving it, living here? Southern California, Orange County, great place to live. Even our city here, Orange, is a wonderful place to live. But how can we say that God is God of this city? I mean, there's something beautiful about the circle that kind of, you know, is this symbol of community, of connectedness. Is, is it because of that we can say that, that God is God of this city? Or is it because we have some great Christian leaders in our city? Some great Christian leaders in our city that that we can say, okay, God is God of this city because there are good Christian people that are doing good things for the city in the heart of our city. And that's certainly true. But what is it that allows us to make that claim, to be able to say that, to be able to, to almost pray those words that we just sung? Maybe the reason that there's something about that song that speaks to us has to do with the story of that song. I know most of us know it because of Chris Tomlin and Chris Tomlin putting out on his passion record and uh, us singing it here at St. John's on a regular basis. And, and so we know the song and it's great and something about familiarity is nice, but there's more to that story. Uh, there's more to that story. See, that, that song has a very interesting history. It was actually sung for the first time by this band called Blue Tree. Uh, the lead singer, Aaron Boyd, um, the mission pastor at their church in Belfast, Germany, came to the band and said, hey guys, I'd like you to go on a mission trip uh, to Pattaya in Thailand. To go to Pattaya, Thailand, which is one of the, the most dark places of the world. And they went there for a mission trip. It's just kind of around the corner from Bangkok on the sea there. And they're through, long story short, one way or another, they end up singing in a bar there, in one of the most dark places of the world. They're there on stage singing in a bar, all sorts of things that reflect the darkness and the brokenness and the struggle of people all around them. And as he's on stage, he looks out and he sees these people standing outside the bar, looking in the windows of the bar. And he can tell they're thinking, what in, what in the blue blazes are these people doing singing songs about Jesus here? This doesn't fit. And in the middle of the set, in the middle of the set, these words, this is not a song that, that Aaron Boyd wrote, this is these words pour out of him. It was as if God spoke to him and said to him, that God is the God of this city, even this city. God is the God, King of these people. And Lord, the Lord is the hope of this nation. 
He's the light for, for this darkness in which you all live. He's the hope to the hopelessness that you find yourself in. And he's the peace that you need. Because as he looked out at these people and he said, he thought to himself, and God said to him that, that God is the God of these people and they don't know it. They need to know that God is their light, that he is their hope, that he is their peace. That he is what they need. He's the thing that can bring restoration and hope and life. In the middle of this darkness, in the middle of this brokenness. Because life doesn't have to look like this. So that's how we can sing this song about Orange, about the various cities in which we live, because God is the God of the city. Whether the city knows it or not, because God has placed his people, his church, you and me in the city to share that hope, to share that light, and to lift up the hope of a better king, a better God, a better Lord. To the people of the city. You see, the thing is in this world for us as people, especially as Christians, it's easy for us to get offended and to withdraw from society. And it happens in little ways. Like I know somebody right now who is offended at me and there's a phone call that I need to make, but I don't want to make it. Has anybody else been there? Yeah, we all know about that. And that's one of those little things. It was a stupid thing that I said and didn't mean, and now I've got to call somebody and I still don't want to do it. And if that little thing can make a mess out of my life, what about the bigger things? The things where offense is actually intended, the things where people are actually angry and opposed to you because of what you believe or who you are. What about those things? What are we called to do about those things as God's people? When we believe those words that we just sung, when we believe that God is the God of the city, even when the city is opposed to Christ and his reign in our lives. See, Jesus is all about restoring the broken. And so we look at at kind of our text that speaks to this topic this morning from Matthew chapter 5 that gives us a different path as his people to follow. You have heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your Father is perfect. And Jesus says that to his disciples, to to you and me encouraging us as his people to be people of restoration. But Jesus didn't just say it. He's one that lived it. He walked into the brokenness. He walked into the people that weren't religious people and talked to them, loved them, engaged with them. That is who Jesus 
was. Reaching out to the sinful and the broken. Going to places that most Christians wouldn't want to go. And yet Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, leads us into those places to bring life and hope and healing. So the question is, is what does that look like? What does that look like in, in a real sense? I, I may have shared this story about Ken Watake before. Does anybody remember that? Or maybe I gave it to a different group. That's good. Okay, I get to tell this story again. Awesome. So Ken Watake um, grew up just a little bit north here in south central L.A., and real brokenness. And uh, running was a big part of his life. It was one of the outlets that he had growing up in a, in a fatherless home. And uh, when the bombing of the Boston Marathon happened, it really broke his heart because running meant so much for him to see an attack on, on a sport that had done so much for him. And so his, his goal then became to go run in the Boston Marathon the next year as an act of defiance against the brokenness of this world. And if you know anything about running in the Boston Marathon, you have to run fast enough in order to qualify. Right? Anybody know that? You have to run a certain time, and it's not slow. And so he doesn't qualify. And so he's like, I'm not going to give up on my dream of going there and standing up against this evil in the world. And so he uh, got a t-shirt and he printed free hugs on it and made it a little smiley face sign that said free hugs. And he went to the Boston Marathon and thought, okay, I'll just hug a couple of people as they're running the marathon and encourage them and thank them for being out there and for running and he ended up hugging thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people because everybody wanted to give this guy a hug because he's just standing out there smiling and having a good time. Fast forward. The world has been broken by some of the tension between the cops and certain communities in our world. Now Ken Wadke, Wadke stands in that gap between the angry communities whether it's uh, political or racial, and the police. And stands in the gap and tries to encourage and bring the sides together to get them to have a conversation, to realize that this is a person over here on this side and this is a person over on this side. What sense does it make to spread any more hate in the world? So he stands in the gap. And I don't know where his faith is at. When I first saw this story, I sent him an email and said, hey, I want to hear more about this. Didn't get a response. I'm still waiting. That's okay. I'll try again. And so I don't know whether this was inspired by Jesus, if this is a Jesus thing or not, but I tell you what, it looks like a Jesus thing to bring people together instead of divide people, to give love and hope and courage instead of death and destruction and hate. So then the question is, okay, so that's beautiful. And there's something about that story that draws us to it. I know that I have. So how do we have that same kind of life? How do we answer that call that Jesus gives us? Be perfect as your Father is perfect. See, Jesus and, and the Father are about restoring the broken. And so following Jesus for us is about restoring the broken. So how do we do that? How do we put, put skin on that, live that uh, Monday through Friday in our jobs, in our families, in our neighborhoods? 
the first thing, and I think this is one that we often forget. Uh, I'd like to share you the list so we know where we're going here. Um, number one, pray for the city. Number two, grace over judgment. Number three, courage over comfort. And number four, live in the tension. So the first one, pray for the city. And maybe I'm just trying to sneak this text in there uh, from Jeremiah chapter 29. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it. We have this opportunity to communicate with our God, uh, to speak to him about the things that burden our heart. And so the first step of living in this way is to pray for the city. Pray for the people that God has placed around us. That God's heart would become our heart for the lost and the hurting and the broken that we see each and every day. And see, I think our tendency sometimes as Christians is to see the brokenness, to see the pain, to see the hurt. Especially in this day and age and say, I'm too busy for that right now. I've got other things that need my attention. And so the first call is to pray for the city. That God would give us his heart for the lost and the hurting and the broken. Second one, grace over judgment. It's easy for us to look at the, the brokenness in, in people's lives and to say, you're not living right, and so that's why you got all these problems. And the thing that we simply need to let go of as Christians is expecting people who are not Christians to live like Christians. That's not how that works, Right? You kind of got to know about this grace and this love in Jesus and, and what he teaches in order to follow what he says. And so it means that, that we need to have God be our God first and foremost. And then as we walk into this darkness and this brokenness, we, we can't look at people and put this prescription on them of, this is how you need to act, this is how you need to live in order for me to love you and have grace on you. Because husbands... You guys are with me on this. That's not what fixes us when we get married, right? It's our wives' love and grace time and time again that fixes us. Wives, it's true for you too, but pick it on the guys because I know it personally. And then third, courage over comfort. And God has forced me to be courageous on a couple of occasions, and I'm grateful for that. Because it changed my heart, it affected my heart. You see, one of those people that's easy to judge, a guy by the name of Brandon. Brandon uh, was a homeless guy, had run away from his family, and uh, his family showed up here at St. John's because they found him. They found him in a hotel in Garden Grove, emaciated, a heroin addict, and they checked him into the hospital, and they asked if a pastor could go see him. I didn't want to go, but I was the only one here, and so I went, and I tell you what, it wasn't comfortable. As Brandon was coming out of where he'd been and the drugs in his system, he was pretty angry. He was pretty angry at God. He was pretty angry at the world. I got cussed out a lot, and yet as medicine worked, as, as God worked, as God ministered through me, I saw Brandon's heart soften. And he went from being opposed to God in his word to wanting to hear it. And his family is grateful, 
grateful that although Brandon succumbed from his illness because of living on the street and the infections that he got, they're grateful that they know that Brandon died trusting in Jesus. And I could have chosen to be comfortable, but God forced me to be courageous and I'm grateful. Where is God calling you to be courageous? to step out in faith, to speak words of hope, to walk into a place that, that may be against you. But God is calling you to have a word of grace and hope for them. And, and finally, live in the tension. You know, we as Christians, we, we often want to paint a thin line and have black and white. The truth is that's not the way the world works. Jesus didn't live in a black and white world. We see Jesus in the scriptures operating a lot in the gray with love and grace rather than coming to people and saying, that's wrong and this is right and stop that and do this. Instead, he first embraces with grace. That kind of ties all of that stuff together. As we as God's people are called to, to live in attention, be people of grace in a place that is broken and hurting, in a place that may not give us back the answers that we want or that we hope for. Because after all, that's exactly what Jesus did. See, Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but to love the world, to save the world through him. John 3, 17. So what if this song, what if God of the city became our prayer? What if it became the song that we sung over our city? What if we as God's people followed Jesus' example and prayed for enemies? Because when we look at him, we see that it is hard to pray for your enemies, to, to love people when their backs are turned. But that's what Jesus did, even from the cross. As he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That same power. That same power, God's Holy Spirit, that power that rose Jesus from the dead, lives in us as his people. And we have the opportunity, the privilege of being invited into God's mission in the world, of showing people what God's kingdom looks like, showing them a place of love and grace instead of judgment and animosity.